matches. The WCW World Heavyweight title on the line. The U.S. title on the line. And the World Tag Team titles all on the line tonight. Let's kick it off. Let's talk about the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, defending his world championship against seven foot four, 440 some odd pounds. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro, our week-by-week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. I'm your host, Tim Root, and with me, as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm fucking ecstatic. How are you? (laughs) Uh, I am thrilled. Uh, I am so excited in... Uh, gosh, like f- uh, six, seven, eight hours, I will be getting on a plane and flying out to Los Angeles where I will be seeing my very first ever pro wrestling gorilla show live and in person. And I am fucking pumped as hell about that. That And that, I mean, like if um, if NXT is like AAA, I mean, is, is this like single A or is this rookie league or where would you put it? That's a good question. Here's here's the analogy, um, and I don't mean to mix our metaphors too much, but this is the analogy I've been trying to use to explain to like people at work uh-huh. what, what I'm doing and why I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, if you were like a fan of a genre of music that everyone knew about, and it was reasonably popular, but a lot of people didn't like it, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's wrestling. Wrestling is the genre of music. Yeah. Now imagine that your favorite band within that genre. Uh, is widely regarded by fans of the genre as being like some of the most amazing music made within that genre. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, they only play about 10 shows a year, yeah. and they're all at the same tiny club in California that only holds like 300 people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that is the PWG experience. It's like some of the best wrestling on the planet, mm-hmm. uh, but it's held at the same fucking American Legion post in Reseda, California, and they only do like eight to ten a year yeah you know it's um so a lot of the guys go on to wwe so in that respect i guess you could call it kind of a a double a or triple a system or something Mm -hmm. um some of the guys are already you know like if you watch battle of los angeles their big annual tournament last year uh, a lot of the guys from lucha underground participated in that oh who are also in uh triple a like not triple (laughs) a in the minor sense but yeah the uh the organization out in Mexico that is known as AAA, mm-hmm. um, which is major league wrestling. You know, it's not global as WWE is, but it's still huge, you know? Yeah. Um, and now they are also have some kind of working agreement with Ring of Honor. Uh, for a while, the Young Bucks were allowed by their Ring of Honor deal to also appear in PWG. Um, but there is some kind of new deal that allows other guys. So you've now seen uh, Adam Cole... Uh, Roderick Strong is also a guy who's been allowed to work both because he's actually been the PWG champion for a while. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't exactly put it below NXT, but it's almost like for a lot of the guys, the goal isn't maybe even necessarily WWE. They're doing something completely, you know, different from that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it's it's like uh, just an awesome. I, I don't know the compare. It's like if. If uh, there was an awesome independent baseball league that some guys would rather play in that than the Major League Baseball. Yeah. You know? No, um, I get it. So I'm really excited to go to that. I'm also excited, speaking of, of uh, you know, smaller organizations and AAA, you and I are going to be going uh, next month in March. Uh, oh, uh, this month, I mean, if I'm keeping kayfabe. <laughs> 
Which you are. We're going to be, uh, we're going to an NXT show. Yeah. Uh, and, we're and going to an NXT house show. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it, it just, it's interesting because from what I've seen with like uh, pictures and stuff like that, it, like their house shows look like, indie like ring of honor type right shows. right and and we've gone to a few ring of honor shows and those are just so much fun like being that much that close and that like it's uh that personal right you know and to see some of these guys in nxt who are just like one step away from being right. on raw it will be amazing especially because we're going to be uh including the people we're seeing are finn balor uh bailey and apollo cruz and all of them are they're ready for that jump. Like yep. uh, the reason, at least some of them, Bailey specifically, aren't on the main roster is that they're needed in NXT. Yeah, like NXT needs Bailey too much to let her go to the main roster right, right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, anyway, we are here <laughs> to break down Nitro. Uh, not too much of the modern scene, but I am really fucking pumped for both those things. Uh, but before we start breaking down the March twenty fifth, nineteen ninety six episode of Monday Nitro, I do need to remind everyone. You can find us on Facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. On Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. <laughs> there yep. it is. And of course, we are the mem- proud card carrying, uh, goose stepping members. <laughs> no, nope, cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, we are also proud members of two wonderful uh, podcast networks, one being the OSW podcast network which you can find at piledriverwrestling.net and of course the freaking awesome network <laughs> at freaking awesome network.net so with that out of the way as i said it is march 25th 1996 and we are coming to you live from the von braun civic center in huntsville alabama i do not have attendance numbers for the show you will all just have to learn to live without it, <laughs> you ham and eggers. <laughs> uh, as we come in, Bischoff claims that Nitro is the only live broadcast on the planet. Yeah. He does not specify wrestling, so mm-hmm. I guess he's never heard of the fucking news. <laughs> a dork. Just about every belt is going to be on the line tonight, including Ric Flair defending the WCW World Heavyweight Championship against the Giant who won the right to face Flair uh, on the pay-per-view last night by beating Loch Ness. Sting and Lex Luger will defend the uh, belts that they retained against the American Males, and Conan is going to put the U.S. title that he retained last night against Eddie Guerrero on the line against Mr. JL, who returns to Nitro for the first time uh, since we saw him get his arm broken by Dean Malenko way back in December of last year. That's a pretty that's a pretty quick recovery for a broken re- Not arm. too bad. Yeah, three months, yeah. Uh, in the full results for WCW Uncensored, as I mentioned, uh, Conan defeated Eddie Guerrero. The Belfast Bruiser defeated Lord Steven Regal in an absolutely brutal match where two these two guys just go out of their way to stiff each other. Um, and not because they hate each other, but because that's the style they both enjoy. It's really something else. Colonel Robert Parker defeated Medusa. Uh, Medusa has got to be regretting coming back to WCW. The Booty Man defeated Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, in an I Quit Wrestling match. So Diamond Dallas Page is now uh, out of WCW. The Giant defeated Loch Ness to earn a title shot on tonight's Nitro. Sting and Booker T defeated the Road Warriors in a Chicago street fight, uh, which is a great match. Starts off hot, has kind of a lull in the middle, and then ends uh, really well again. And in our main event in the Doomsday Cage match, 
The Mega Powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, defeated the Alliance to end Hulkamania, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Meng, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z-Gangsta, and the Ultimate Solution. Uh, it's a glorious, terrible mess of a match. Uh, it really has to be seen to be believed. Check it out on the WWE Network. Uh, you could also hear the entire pay-per-view recapped by the New Generation Project podcast, who covers it uh, somewhere in their timeline, so you can check that in their back episodes. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. The highlight probably coming at the very end when Hogan and Macho are just leaving the cage and acting like that's going to give them the victory uh, before they realize that you can't win by leaving the cage because they've already left the cage earlier. At one point, the fight spills out of the cage, goes into the ring, uh, in the center of the arena, because the, the cage is actually set up more on the entrance ramp. So they've left, they go into the cage in the middle of the arena, and then go back into the cage. So you can't later leave the cage and claim to have won. So they're leaving, and at the last minute, Randy Savage remembers that somebody has to get pinned, and he saves the match by, like, diving back in and pinning, uh, I believe it's Ric Flair, for the victory. So it's the whole thing is a mess from beginning to end, and, and pretty goddamn hilarious. So I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Out to start our show tonight comes the Bruiser, and as I mentioned, he had an insanely brutal match against William Regal last night. Oh, uh, yeah. The, or Steven Regal, excuse me. Yep. The announcers put over how insanely hard-hitting it was, and Brain says that Regal's face looks as bad as the car that Princess Di smashed up. And wow. I was about to freak the fuck out over what a horrible comment that is, until I checked Wikipedia and saw that Diana didn't have her fatal car crash until August of 97. Yeah. This was a different and far less serious car crash. <laughs> so I was like, holy shit, did he just say that? That is really tasteless. <laughs> no, it turns out this was not the death of the People's Princess. This was a completely different car accident. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize she had another, like, significant car accident. <laughs> I don't know if it was significant as much as it made some tabloids. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Okay. Something they probably mentioned this week, and by next week, everyone forgets exactly, about it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Macho Man is out to take on the Belfast Bruiser, and here to call all the action is our own Dave Amontorp. All right. So the Bruiser is out, and he still has that uh, stupid shoulder pad thing, which makes him look like an extra from Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> um, Randy Savage comes out with, like, a really just a cool-looking – it's, like, a, it's like mostly white, but kind of has, like, a metallic green to it. It's, really, it's just really neat-looking. I liked it. It kind of sucks uh, that Savage – uh, you know, was the got the pinball victory in the main event of the pay per view, mm -hmm. and here he's jerking the curtain the next night against the Belfast Bruiser. Meanwhile, and they don't really say much about him. Meanwhile, uh, well, when Hogan comes out later, Bischoff slobs all over his knob verbally, yes. just like talking about how yeah. great Hogan is. Yeah, like Randy won the match, You're and right. he's here in the opening match, and nobody gives a shit. You know. <laughs> All right, so the combatants start the match out the traditional way with a classic collar and elbow tie-up, although Randy Savage makes it look like he wants to get an eye rake in for good measure. They separate, and Macho Man immediately pulls down on the directional pad to taunt the Belfast Bruiser. After we get another collar, collar and elbow tie-up, it leads to another separation. At that moment, the two men talk and sort out their differences before executing collar and elbow tie-up number three. At this point, Belfast Bruiser tires of the foreplay and converts a tie-up into a headlock. A quick hip pivot, and Macho Man is flat on his back, head still firmly locked into the place inside Bruiser's arm. At this point, Eric Bischoff once again misinforms the viewing audience by suggesting that the C in WCW stands for commitment. <laughs> I think this is also uh, where he starts plugging the cruiserweight tournament. 
right? And yeah. he says that WCW has the best and youngest international talent in the world. <laughs> the combined age of the men in the ring is 96 years old. <laughs> Randy is a uh, or that uh, excuse me 86. Randy is 46. 86. Randy is 46, and the Belfast Bruiser, who is put over by as a young cruiserweight right. by Bischoff, is 40 years old at this point. <laughs> and now, not only that, he doesn't look young either. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> he he he's 40 here, and and for one thing, that's amazing because he's still wrestling in WWE like 20 years after. Well, not 20. That would be today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how math works. Uh, he 16 years later, he was you know he was wrestling in WWE until fairly recently yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So he has a headlock with him on the mat. The wrestlers return to the feet where Macho Man whips a Belfast Bruiser into the ropes only to be knocked down courtesy of a shoulder block. A quick nonchalant cover only results in a two count. Undeterred, Belfast Bruiser strings together a series of lazy rest holds. First we get the shoulder nerve grip, then upgrade to a sleeper, then downgrade to a headlock. Macho Man grows tired of this headlock business and starts giving Belfast Bruiser ribs the business with his elbow. The two men back into a corner where referee Randy Anderson slithers on between them to break up a second <laughs> sleeper attempt by the bruiser. Back in a standing position, Belfast uses a nerf pinch to drop Randy Savage to the mat where he gets greeted with an elbow right to the goddamn face. <laughs> Belfast bruiser permits Savage to return to his feet, not out of kindness, but to annihilate him with a pair of European uppercuts. Owie. Which, at this point, Eric Bischoff loses his mind about because he pretty much associates the European uppercuts last night to the busted-up face of yeah. uh, Steven Regal. He does a terrible job in this match. At one point, uh, it's it's much later, um, but they just start punching each other back and forth and like just punches and kicks, punches and kicks, mm-hmm. and Bischoff calls every single one of them. Yeah, he is just really, really. We kind of let him get a pass, I think, because we're so used to him mm-hmm. doing the show every week. But he is lousy in this match. Yeah. Um. So after the European uppercuts, Bruiser attempts to ram Randy Savage's face into the turnbuckle, but this attempt is thwarted. Thwarted, and instead Belfast gets a face full of whatever turnbuckles are made of. <laughs> That's Georgie Animal Steel, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Something delicious for him. <laughs> Something so yummy. <laughs> uh, stunned Belfast Bruiser begs off the assault, but it falls on deaf ears as Savage beats him around the ring before projecting Bruiser to the outside with a knee to the back. This is, a uh, at this point, it's kind of like not typical because that's a lot of action before they go to the outside, whereas Randy Savage is like within moves. Right, you know, right. Outside. Yeah, that was, that was fairly decent in-ring action before spilling over. Yeah. Uh, Macho Man is quick to capitalize, but his journey to the outside hits a speed bump as Belfast makes him collide with the ring post. This is followed up with Savage being dropped chest first across the guardrail. Macho Man paces around the ring like a wounded animal as Bischoff suggests he had his bell rung like Big Ben, which doesn't make sense as Big Big Ben is designed to have his bell rung, (laughs) while Randy (laughs) Macho Man Savage is not designed that way. I'd also like to point out uh, that when he's lying on the floor after getting thrown in the guardrail, mm-hmm. a fan root like repeatedly tries to kick him or step on his hand. <laughs> right. Like there's a huge Belfast Bruiser fan who's just like, "Fuck you! I'm gonna <laughs> break your fingers, Randy." Yeah, and Machwin, like when he was on the on the ground, he also was doing that kind of thing where it's like, I kind of feel like he's intentionally like just going under the guardrail a little bit. Yeah, just as like a weird thing. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, some some asshole like sneakily tries to hurt one of the like. 
if anyone had noticed, that guy would have been kicked out, you know, but yeah. somehow it just kind of flies under the radar. So we have Macho Man kind of uh, going around the ring, holding his uh, at ringside, holding his jaw. Belfast Bruiser stalks Macho Man around, eventually catching up with him with a forearm blast, followed by an unwelcome reunion with the ring post. He pitches Macho Man over the guardrail like yesterday's garbage, and as Randy Anderson for some reason assists Randy Savage back to the ring, Mongo makes the <laughs> astute observation that Savage might be exhausted as a result of last night's steel cage exploits. Not a bad point. It is not a bad point. I, this part with Randy Anderson is weird because Savage gets up. He starts getting over the rail. Uh, Randy Anderson helps him over the rail yeah. and then basically <laughs> leads him to the ring. Yeah. yeah. So we're back in the ring, and uh, Belfast Bruiser clotheslines Randy Savage for a two-count. Near defeat seems to awaken something inside Macho Man as the two men exchange blows. Desperate to gain an advantage, Belfast Bruiser attempts to ram his shoulder into Savage's gut, but Macho Man moves and hits the ring post, inst- and he hits ring post instead. At this point, Randy Savage smells blood and immediately goes up to the top and hits a flying elbow for the three count. Um, I felt this match was, at the very beginning, went really slow and was really boring. Um... But it seemed like once they got to the outside and were kind of like getting a little bit stiffer with each other, um, it wasn't that bad. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, uh, I don't get why Bruiser loses. Well, I mean, I get if you're pairing them together why he loses. Yeah. But why pair them together? Right. They make a big deal before the match about how he still hasn't been defeated in WCW. Mm-hmm. Well, now he has in the opening match, so who gives a fuck about him? <laughs> right. You know? Um, so the match itself is not that bad. Mm-hmm. But the result is confusing, and I don't understand if that's if that's the result you have to have if these two guys have a match against each other. Why have the match at all? Yeah, uh, it it would be great if Bruiser already had a couple losses. You know, if you'd built him up and he had a big loss and whatever, you can't have a guy be he's not Goldberg. He's not gonna be undefeated for two years or whatever. <laughs> right. But you know, if he had this loss, uh, six months down the line, then he could be the kind of guy who could like hold his head high for sticking in there with with randy savage but this is just treated so tossed off it's just oh they had a match bruiser's really tough oh randy won okay what's next yeah commercial okay right you know no exactly no it, it seemed like it was something where it's like you know hogan's gonna get a lot of like the main event stuff so we gotta make sure savage is on the program right and they do i mean wcw does this a lot where they could pick someone else that would that wouldn't they wouldn't be hurt as much from a loss because yeah. they, they have a big roster. They got plenty of guys that could have done this. Imagine if, if uh, not to, uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time fantasy booking, but if he had a short program with Guerrero where neither of them get a clean win over the other one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for a couple Nitros, and then the next pay-per-view they have a match, and Eddie wins, but Bruiser looks great, you know? Right. Then he's got his loss, and you have the kind of burden of the undefeated competitor off your chest. Sure. Because I think to a, a degree... When you build up a guy's undefeated, that that's not good. I don't think you know, because mm-hmm. uh, no matter what happens, then when he gets defeated, people are going to whine a bitch about it. Yeah, you know. So so if you wanted to get a defeat on him, but still have him be legitimate, you know, make a program out of it. Don't have it just be tossed off and fed to one of your big stars. I, it really that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. No. It's and uh, yeah, I don't think it was a really good idea from a booking standpoint. But I thought from a wrestling standpoint. Um, like I said, it kind of started off slow, yeah. but for two guys that, as far as I know, have never wrestled each other, I, I thought they did a good job. 
Macho Man has had uh, a scarcity of quality matches on Nitro, and this is a rare exception. This is a good Macho Man match from Nitro, so I'm happy to see that. Yeah. Uh, Mongo <laughs> is very happy to see this, and he says that uh, due to this result, there's going to be another famine in Ireland. <laughs> That's really fucked up thing to say, <laughs> dude. Thousands of people died. <laughs> Thousands. We go to a commercial being promised that after the commercial we're going to get JL and Conan, but when we come back, Mean Gene is in the aisle. No sign of the flu that had him laid up at home last week. Huh, how odd. <laughs> and now that Pillman is on the outs with the company, he doesn't have to do any apologizing either. How convenient. Yeah, everything worked out pretty well for <laughs> old Scheme Gene. Everything's coming up Okerlin. <laughs> <laughs> out comes Flair with Woman and Liz. Liz has these sheer elbow-length gloves that would be very sexy if she wasn't wearing a dumb pink shiny mini dress <laughs> along with them. Right. Uh, she's also holding a handful of cash, which she does not know what to do with. She's got Ricky Bobby, I don't know what to do with my hands-itis. <laughs> yes. Except for in her hands is a prop, so that should make it easier. Yeah. But she's still, she's like, should I hide it behind my back? Should I like count the money? I, d I don't know. <laughs> Rick, will you tell me what to do, please? <laughs> uh, let's go to an audio clip as we get a promo from Ric Flair. All right, fans, welcome back to more exciting action. A very explosive Monday night here on TNT as I welcome... The WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, let's hear it. Give it up for the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Elizabeth, woman, <laughs> nature boy Ric Flair, I got a ton of things to talk to you about later on tonight here on Nitro, a ton of events as a result of what happened last night in Tupelo, you're going to be facing the 7 foot 4, 446 pound giant, unhand me woman, me Jing, tonight we slay a real live walking, talking, fire breathing giants. And I want to assure the world, before it's all over, I will look down at the giant and say, brother, ask yourself this, what's causing all this? Woo! I got the whole world in my hands. I got the whole, it's not easy being a nature boy. Me, Gene, look, I we can... got world title belts. We got woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? And we have Macho Man's former better half now with the Nate Shabon. All right, Ric Flair, Woo! before we go any further, they have been calling the hotline all day long. Folks want to know what happened last night. And uncensored, you got KO'd, and I think it was quite intentional by Lex Luger. I not only got KO'd, for the first time in a couple of months, you see I've been flying so high, me, Gene. I really haven't looked at Luger. I really haven't looked at the package for what he is. And that is a man 
that wants to be where I am. Mean Gene, good looking at woman, brother. I, I can't help myself sometimes, Nate. Luger, for the air, for the costly air and judgment you made last night. You now, my friend, are on that long list of people that are not going to be able to style and profile woo, with the Nate Chimal. All right, I thank you, Elizabeth. You are looking. Liz, who is more man, me or Lex Luger? Oh, you, Rick. Oh, that's not it. Woman, oh, woman, woo, who's got a better body, me or Lex Luger? You champ. Right. I'll go with the gals. I don't mind telling you. Thank you very much. Today's your boy, Rick Blair. We'll see him later in the hour. Right now. Giant, get ready. Let's get you back to the ring. Flair, as always, great on the mic. Uh, that's the end of our promo. And out now comes Mr. JL to what I think is new terrible music, but may, in fairness, just be old terrible music. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. But oh, yeah, uh, at the very beginning of that, promo yeah i really liked when gene okra was like hands off me woman <laughs> which, which out of context sounds yeah. really really sexist i mean the fact her name is woman is, yeah is, also in context it, it sounds just, fairly sexist and then he also he was making some complaints about uh about woman like staring him down or yeah. something like that yeah they have a fun interplay in this uh in promo i, I really enjoyed but you're right Every time, every time Elizabeth comes out, it's just an adventure in in what is she going to make look impossible today? She's so awkward. (laughs) How did I never notice in WWF? (laughs) Oh, she's awkward. You know, one thing, and I don't blame her for this. This is not, I'm not criticizing her or calling her awkward for this. But one thing that's very noticeable about Liz in her entire career, Mm -hmm. she walks in the center of that entrance aisle. She doesn't want any of these gross, sweaty wrestling fans getting their mitts oh, on her. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas you, and a woman kind of does the same thing, but you see others like Kimberly or, you know, much, much later women like Lita or Trish that kind of run down the aisle getting their handshakes and stuff in. Mm-hmm. Like, Elizabeth does not want to be touched by any of you yeah. scumbags. No. Um, not that I blame her. Right. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. No, in comparison, uh, like the last couple of weeks when she was doing like the courting yeah. of uh, of the booty man, Kimberly would like stop and she would like very audibly like be talking with fans right. and stuff like that. But yeah, just <laughs> anything like Elizabeth seems like it's like God talking with people is awkward, talking yeah. out loud is awkward. Like everything about her is just like a struggle to sound and look normal. You know, it reminds me of something that happened, and I don't even know if I pointed this out to you because I don't remember if we were sitting right next to each other. At the um, last Ring of Honor show you and I went to, Survival of the Fittest Night 2 mm-hmm. in uh, Minnesota, we were in the front row, and uh, at one point Maria Canellis was walking around yeah, um, looking fantastic with, uh, you know, her, her butt. <laughs> yep. It's It's <laughs> when you're in the front row, it's like, insanely distracting because she will make laps around the ring. So it, it'll be like two feet in front of your face mm-hmm. for like a good three minutes. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm only human. Uh, but at one point she leaned up against the railing next, like next to me. Yeah. And the guy who was sitting next to us, who was not with us. So she's against the railing and her hands are like on the guardrail. He slid his hands over her hands. Ooh. It was 
I was like so uncomfortable seeing such a creepy, rapey move. Yeah. Her husband is wrestling like four feet away. And he's fucking huge. And Maria is a goddamn pro who must be used to this kind of shit because she didn't even react. She like yeah. stayed there for like two seconds and then just kind of moved on and like never gave him the time of day. Yeah. And I was like, I what an insane career that must be. Yeah. You know, besides the fact that people are talking to you constantly and the fact that if you look anywhere up to there's like 10 guys taking a picture of your ass at any moment. Yeah. Which is why, besides the fact that like I don't want to look like an asshole, I've never done it because I'm like. I could just Google Maria Canellis ass and like right. 40 guys have taken the picture that I could take right now. Right. Why would I bother? You know? <laughs> um, and, and I mentioned it before, and this is just in reference to like, you know, going to a wrestling show that w- <laughs> when, when there's like an attractive woman that gets like really close to you. Yeah. Suddenly like all reasoning kind of like goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're like, should I make contact? Should I yeah. try it engage? What what should I read? Because she's like she's right there. She's like right there. Like, yeah, very close. I I try to walk the line, and I like to talk. Like I like to get into it with them, but I try to do it it like, you know, it, it, along kayfabe. Yeah. You know, I like to talk shit about the kingdom, and then she'll talk shit back, and that's fun. Yeah, that's like um, because you were with uh with the the girl that's in like the House of Truth, Taylor Hendricks. Yeah, she and I had some fun back and forth. Yeah, and she's another person who walks far away from the fan like maria gets right up against the railing yeah taylor Hendricks keeps 15 between yeah. you and her at all times and again i'm not blaming her after seeing the way maria got hand raped by the guy sitting next to <laughs> right. me i don't blame her i'm not i'm not criticizing these women that's yeah but like uh um taylor Hendricks has trouble even looking at the fans i noticed mm-hmm. but when i started giving her shit uh about the house of truth and i yelled if i remember right i yelled something like you need new friends yeah. She turned around and looked right at me and just went, I really do. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the kind of connection I like having with these hot, hot wrestling chicks. Yeah, like, like, let's connect on a character wrestling yeah, level. That, I mean, that I mean, she's out there to portray a character. Right. If you play up to the character, they're like, yeah, I, they're game. That's what they're out there to do. If you try to make, like, some sort of, like, weird personal gesture, right. I could get where they're like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. The announcers talk about Liz uh, not being satisfied with half of Macho's money. She wants all of his money. Bobby asks, what do you call a woman with $2 million? And then says, divorced. Oh, man. That, uh, prob- that, probably, that probably played well like the <laughs> 60s or 70s. <laughs> you know, and the shitty thing is, is he's, he's the heel, so I guess he can say things like that. But the baby face announcers just chuckle like... <laughs> That is accurate. <laughs> Women are shitty. <laughs> you said it, Braid. Also want to talk about last night. You know, we found out that Brian Pillman at the very, I mean, literally at the 11th hour contacted WCW and said, hey, I don't want any part of anything to do in terms of Kevin Sullivan. I don't want to be on his team. I don't want to be in his main event. So the loose cannon continues with his unpredictable ways, and I think that that could bring about a whole lot of tension between the Horsemen, Kevin Sullivan, the Dungeon of Doom, and that whole group, because I tell you what, nobody there is cooperating with anybody, and Pillman, the loosest cannon of them all. At this point, Bischoff claims that Pillman quit last minute before the uncensored uh, pay-per-view because he refused to be on Kevin Sullivan's team. Mm -hmm. So... It's clear that at least at this point, 
they're holding some hope that he could come back and they don't want to, you know, it's not like Johnny B. Bad where he just starts talking shit. Yeah. You know, about a no show or unprofessional this or that or being a woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. He just gives a storyline explanation as to why Pillman wasn't there. And that's about it. He does say something about Pillman not fulfilling his obligations. Right. But that's it's not very strong. It's nothing. It's nothing that couldn't be water under the bridge. Yeah. Should they come to an agreement with. No, I I did notice that when he was talking about it, uh, that it sounded like it was in with the story. Right. And I was like, oh, that's. That's interesting because, like you said, it was like a full release. So in yeah. theory, he's a free agent that they could just re-sign and, again. And I don't know if the full release has actually been granted as of this date. Like I don't know sure. what date all the, the ink is dry on that agreement. But mm-hmm. to start off the match, we get some chops and punches from Conan. He hits an Irish whip on Mister JL, but JL leaps over the ropes and uh, comes through the middle and top rope with a shoulder to Conan's gut before hitting a head scissors takeover, and then another more fancy head scissors takeover <laughs> to, t- to counter a tilt-a-whirl slam attempt by Conan. Conan takes over after reversing a wrist lock. He hits a couple arm drags and a monkey flip-esque move. I, I don't really know what to call it, but it was close to a monkey flip. But JL manages to rotate all the way around and land on his feet. Conan takes down JL with a kick and then hits a somersault senton and locks in a sort of bow and arrow variation submission as Bischoff says that he is just getting word through the headset that Macho is going crazy in the back and being restrained by security. Uh, So incensed with anger is he at seeing Liz walk around with a stack of his money. JL gets out of an armbar with a fireman's carry and locks on an armbar of his own. Conan gets to his feet and the two exchange various fancy lucha arm drags before JL comes off the ropes with a spinning elbow. JL then comes off the top rope with a very nice missile dropkick, and Conan sells a knee injury, uh, but stops the count by grabbing the ropes at one. JL blocks a hip toss, so Conan hits a nice gut wrench powerbomb for a two count. As Bischoff tells us that JL's dark match win last night before the pay-per-view was a part of the cruiserweight tournament. He also tells us that in Japan, as part of this tournament, Psychosis, Benoit, and Jushin Liger all advanced in the tournament. It may then amuse you to learn that five days ago, Shinjiro Otani defeated Chris Benoit to become the very first WCW Cruiserweight Champion. Huh. (laughs) In other words, this tournament ended before it actually began. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Eric says that we're going to get more information on Nitro next week, along with uh, Hogan's return as he's taking uh, the week off this week. Um, So, yeah, WCW has, has already allowed the finish of the tournament to take place over in new japan mm-hmm. um it's unclear if they're going to just have other matches and say they're part of a tournament and then announce that otani won <laughs> or maybe they'll show that match on tv it's it's really who knows what they're planning to do yeah. um but actually several days ago shinjiri otani <laughs> became your first ever cruiserweight champion <laughs> conan vamps for the crowd a little bit to a mixed reaction he goes for another power bomb, but JL flips it all the way around into a sunset flip for two. Coming off the ropes, Conan goes for a monkey flip, but JL turns it into a cradle for another two. Conan uses his legs for a very cool pin reversal for his own two count. Mongo cries like a complete asshole about Hogan not getting a championship match lately because it's been, I don't know, like six weeks at <laughs> most. Right. Not that fucking long at all. Conan sits on the top turnbuckle and JL seizes the moment for a DDT, which gets a two count. Oddly, Bischoff starts claiming that it's a slow count and that JL should, quote, appeal the call. Yeah. I don't know 
to the executive committee, to the ref? Like, what is the formal appeals process in yeah. WCW? He, he made it sound like he should stop where he is and appeal like <laughs> it, it will be reversed <laughs> and he wins. In the corner, JL goes for a float over, but Conan catches him for an Alabama slam, a very nice-looking Alabama slam, which is almost always a very nice-looking move, quite yes. honestly. He then hangs on to the legs and flips over and hangs on for the pinfall victory. Uh, decent match, good for TV with some hard-hitting spots and some technical flips and reversals and all that kind of shit, and I liked it. What did you think of the match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I, I liked it. Um, I thought it was one of... Conan's better matches when it comes to actually getting a flow of a match going because and he he allowed JL to look good at points yeah um at other times his selling was pretty damn awful mm-hmm. but JL definitely got some nice spots and looked like a legitimate threat which mainly in the Conan matches I've seen it never looks like the guy he's wrestling is a threat to him at all yeah no I thought it was a good match um and it, it's it's good that they're getting like some of these guys in there instead of uh, just rolling out like nasty boys and stuff like that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was a, a perfectly good televised match. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. After a commercial, out comes Disco Inferno, and we have not seen him since December eleventh. It has felt like a long time. It has so. felt like far too long. Yeah. Uh, given how much I love Disco, uh, I just actually listened to his appearance on Colt Cabana's podcast. And he's pretty funny. Um, the the thing that I took away the most, because I find him kind of annoying on Twitter nowadays, okay. but he straight up just talks about how a lot of the shit he writes online is purposely done to troll people. Yeah, He just, he'll like, uh, I think one of them, if I remember right, he talks specifically about how he read somewhere that Brian Danielson was the best wrestler on the planet. Before Danielson was in WWE as, as Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And so he just wrote an article about, I've never heard of this guy and he probably sucks. <laughs> just because he knew that was going to, like, it's not like, you know, a lot of internet trolls were in the back of their head. They know it's going to piss people off and that's why they're doing it, but they would never admit that to themselves. Yeah. No, he's like, I thought it'd be funny to piss all these people <laughs> off, so I did it. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It is kind of awesome. <laughs> Uh, he did, of course, have his cameo on our podcast with his Clash of the Champions appearance in January. So we've not seen him on Nitro since December 11th, oh, but we, yeah. we did get a brief appearance from him in January. Bischoff promotes the idea of a Nitro party, which we will hear a lot about in the coming, I don't know, years, I think. Yeah. Uh, but this is the first time that's ever come up, the idea that you get together with a bunch of your friends and have a big Nitro party. Mm-hmm. Bobby points out that Disco Inferno is wearing some of DDP's old diamond rings, which gets at something that uh, John had alluded to earlier on the podcast in a, in a past episode, where after losing his money, DDP was, like, pawning off his gear. Yeah. Uh, so they, this is the first time it's come up on Nitro, uh, and you see that, that indeed Disco does have some of DDP's old rings. <laughs> to face Disco, here comes the Booty Man, who also seemingly has terrible new music. Or was it was this the same as last week, and I just didn't notice last week? I, I don't know. It really it hurt my brain last week, and, yeah. and I just I tuned it out. Well, his music is terrible, and he is terrible. <laughs> he shakes his ass and yells at children about his booty, <laughs> while Bischoff claims that the crowd loves him. <laughs> they look indifferent at best. <laughs> right. And he was... <laughs> Doesn't he say something like he's becoming more popular by the week or something? Something like that. And it's just, those are just lies. (laughs) They're feeding us lies. 
Disco yells at the crowd and the two lock up. Disco tries to punch the booty man but misses and is taunted by the booty man's ass. The booty man <laughs> hits some punches in an atomic drop and then another atomic drop because Ed Leslie is a fucking idiot who doesn't know how to wrestle. Kimberly is out on the aisle and she is now called the booty babe. The booty man asks her to slap his ass and she does because of course, why wouldn't you? The booty man hits the high knee for a victory that took maybe two minutes. <laughs> he then gives the booty babe a big kiss, and she acts like this is the first time she's been kissed in her entire life. God, they are making her look... And, and part of it is her overacting. I don't want to make it sound like it's just WCW. She's going way over the top yeah. with her overacting. Mm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on... Uh, <laughs> On this match, on the booty man, on the booty babe, <laughs> life in general. What do you think? Uh, well, I did have a a, a a theory or something I wanted to talk about when it comes to Kimberly, the booty babe. Yeah, Diamond Doll. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think this conclusion is obvious, but I just thought it was really interesting that uh, that since we started this podcast, that because obviously. WCW does not figure out like a story arc for their women, right? At all, right? But there's a lot of things that she has done since uh, the last fall that like kind of like goes along with this particular character trait. Okay. Um, so I was just gonna run it by you to see what you thought about it. Um, the Booty Babe, aka Diamond Doll, right? Aka Kimberly Page, uh, desires the acceptance of a male at all times. Uh huh. While there doesn't appear to be a legitimate character arc for her, there's definitely an underlying theme that I find interesting. Uh, she desperately is in need of a compa uh, male companionship and will go at any lengths to achieve it. When Johnny B. Babb won the rights to her at World War III, he gave her the option to be released of the commitment and head on her own way. She opted to stay with the person that her man was feuding with, and she probably barely knows on a personal level. When Johnny B. Bad left WCW, Kimberly needed a new man to attach herself to, and she chose essentially the newest character available in the Booty Man. And since she is so used to having like herself being claimed like a prize, she is inept in understanding how women approach men, and she displayed this by trying to woo him with roses from a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was just weird. Very weird. Um. Furthermore, whenever Kimberly, you know, you know how a woman like Kimberly Page would need to approach a man, uh, she would just need to go, "Hello, <laughs> right? <Y> yes," and <laughs> the guy would be like, "Yes, good lord, of course, <laughs> right?" And that would be the entire conversation. Was, I always thought that was like a weird thing where it's like she, and she always like would come out with like this kind of like anxious look, yeah, like like the booty man might reject her, yeah. Like, the only competition with the booty man is that he might be into his own ass more than he's into you. <laughs> that's that's the only danger that he's not going to be into you. Right. Uh, and like and you were mentioning uh, for, uh, with uh, the way that she was dressed. Furthermore, whenever Kimberly has any amount of freedom, she is dressed much differently. As I mentioned before, uh, a few episodes ago on a Saturday Night promo, she has a definite sense of style that is very 90s, but it's also fashionable. Um, I made a mention in relation to like how she might dress like uh, Princess Diana. Yeah. Um, but this is only, this is only when she has the chance to, um, assert herself away from a wrestler. When she once she's under the watchful eye of a male wrestler, she instead tries the best to dress the best way to match that wrestler. Perhaps th 
to make herself more acceptable in said wrestler's eyes. Yeah. And that was really apparent this week when she is wearing like a weird tutu or like a ballerina <laughs> yes. outfit. Whereas the previous weeks she looked like pretty phenomenal uh, in like what looked like pretty ordinary women's clothing. Yeah. Um, so it just, I, this, and there, oh, another thing I was going to mention way, way back when um, there was a Diamond House Page match with Johnny Bad, it was one where uh, Diamond House Page gave her roses after she was already with Johnny oh, right. Bad. Yeah, yeah. And there yep. was the chain in there. Yep. And and even though that's obviously going to be something that he'll use against her new person, she is so reluctant to do something against someone that previously liked her that right. she still she still hesitantly but threw it in his direction. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head um, in that certainly like many, many wrestling women, her character is completely defined by the men around her. Yeah. And uh, which, you know, that's certainly regressive. Uh, you know, it seems like even even now that is only slowly changing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it seems like it's getting much better these days. But that until even very recently, that was still the way women in wrestling were defined women in a lot of you know different mediums unfortunately i mean mean, very recently when probably the most recent like most popular like diva in wwe aj lee yeah when she became like a big deal and was like getting main event kind of time is because she wasn't being attached romantically to right top wrestlers yep um including i remember just like the one year when it was like uh for the Slammies for like kiss of the year. And there was like the <laughs> yeah. three contenders were all someone else with AJ Lee, <laughs> which I thought that was also kind of funny yeah, too, but yeah. it was like, um, but I just, I just thought like there's these pieces that kind of came through that like, uh, really showed like this particular character. Yeah. That Kimberly is. Yeah. Even though I don't, I don't think it's intentional. I just thought it was really, <laughs> Anyway, I just thought that was something that I, I kind of like picked up on and just wanted to bring that up. All right. After a commercial, we come back, and uh, I forget in what context. Uh, it's been a couple days since I watched it. This is my notes. But I do remember Bischoff is like, I think he's telling us about Saturday night, and he's like telling us, you know, you can watch Saturday night, and your announced team is. And he, for some reason, tells us that Tony Schiavone's real first name is Noah. Shivani isn't on the show He's there's no like explanation as to why he's doing this, and I oh. think Bischoff is just being a dick. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's just like Tony Schiavone. No, that fucking idiot's name is Noah. So <laughs> suck on that. I'm I'm the executive vice president. What are you gonna do? Yeah. No, I I heard that, and I thought he was making some like weird joke. No, I think he's just, I think he's just saying that Tony Schiavone's going by a fake name. <laughs> so he's an asshole, everybody. <laughs> like that's that's the only thing I think is he's doing. Yeah. Uh, hang on, let's Wikipedia Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone. Noah Anthony Tony Schiavone <laughs> is an American sports broadcaster. Yeah, he just fucking gave his real name on the air just to be a dick. It had served no purpose. I could see it being something like maybe Tony Schiavone uh, said or did something. Yeah. And he wanted to like bring him down a peg or two. Could be. Uh, I mean, it could just be ribbing, and there's no like you know maliciousness to it, but it just yeah. seemed random as hell because yeah. there was no context for it. 
The American Males come out, and Eric Bischoff tells us that Marcus Alexander Bagwell has landed a part in what sounds like a Amy Sedaris action film, <laughs> but that can't be a thing that exists, <laughs> right? So I googled it, and it turns out it was some guy named Andy Sidaris, <laughs> okay. who is some guy that directed a bunch of very shitty-looking movies, including a turd called Day of the Warrior, which featured Marcus Bagwell as the eponymous warrior, uh, the villain of that picture. Here's the... <laughs> Here's the IMDb description of that movie. Okay. The Legion to Ensure Total Harmony and Law, or <laughs> Lethal, <laughs> Go on. is tracking a criminal mastermind known only as the Warrior. While investigating his combination while investigating his combination diamond smuggling slash art theft slash porn production company. <laughs> <laughs> the agents discover that he has cracked their secret database and has stolen the files on all their agents. With the help of their martial arts instructor, Foo, agents Tiger, Willow, and Cobra take on the case while also taking every opportunity to remove their bikini tops. Oh, nice. Bischoff hypes it like he's in the next fucking Die Hard, <laughs> right. and that's the movie that it actually is. Wow. Good lord. <laughs> Also remember the <laughs> I like that's the IMDb description too. You yeah, <laughs> I mean maybe they let fans write it. I don't fucking know, but good lord. All right. Uh, <laughs> when they get in the ring, I noticed that Buff was singing the theme song, which made me like really like him a little bit more this week. <laughs> that he was so into it. Speaking uh, of guys on Colt Cabana's podcast, I mentioned a Disco Inferno. Mm -hmm. So you might you might be able to tell I went through a little bit of a WCW stars kick on Colt Cabana's podcast. Yeah. I listened to Buff Bagwell episode. He shot his dad, not to death, but just shot him okay. when he was like 16 years old uh, because his dad was beating up his mom. It was like, there's a whole story. I, mean, I won't get into the whole thing, but Buff Bagwell has a more fucked up <laughs> life than I would have thought. Uh, anyway. There's a plug for Colt Cabana's podcast. He's going to get such a bump. <laughs> I, I like that you're like, his life's really fucked up one night. I think now he's like a male gigolo or something like <laughs> he that. He talks about that on the podcast. <laughs> he's like on the podcast promoting the first season that he's on of that gigolo. It was like a reality show. Okay. He seems to suggest <laughs> that he doesn't fuck the women or he does. I, it was very confusing. He yeah. left it purposely vague. <laughs> Out comes Sting and Lex Luger. They flex happily in front of their pyro, and it is all smiles between these two tonight. Sting apparently does not care that Lex was not the guy who defended the belts with him the night before. Yeah. Uh, they seem fine with each other. Lex hilariously high-fives the crowd whenever Sting is, like, looking back at him. <laughs> right. And then when Sting stops looking back, he just looks all apathetic and shitty. <laughs> Fucking gold. <laughs> God, I love Lex Luger right now. <laughs> After a commercial, uh, we come back, and Bischoff claims that Luger has no problem showing off any belt that he can get his hands on. Motherfucker, neither does Hulk Hogan. Right. But you never get on his ass about it, so shut the fuck up. Or, or neither does, like, any wrestler in the history of wrestling. <laughs> right. Oh, he should be, like, I guess, humble that he's a dual champion in wrestling? Like, right. none of these guys are... When has humility ever been a character trait of a pro wrestler? Right. I'd love... I, I Maybe Daniel Bryan... But that's like, you know, 15 years later. In 1996, like, there wasn't Steve the Humble Wrestler. That wasn't a character that was allowed to exist. Luger and Riggs start off, and Luger locks on a side headlock. Riggs gets out with an Irish whip, but Luger hits a shoulder block, followed by two drop kicks from Riggs. 
A back body drop from Riggs uh, occurs as Bischoff reminds us that Sting and Lex Luger owe Harlem Heat a title shot uh, as Booker helped them defend their tag team title belts the night before. Luger takes over, nailing a clothesline and hitting Bagwell off the apron. That pisses Marcus off, and he pulls Luger from the ring. A brawl breaks out, and Sting goes to break it up and refocus Lex back in the ring. Bagwell is tagged in, and Luger backs into the corner. Luger seemingly wants no part of him, and in comes Sting. Sting is annoyed with Lex for backing off, but Lex just acts really excited for the crowd popping for Sting getting tagged in. <laughs> so, yeah, Sting's like pissed, like, you're doing fine while you're tagging me in. And Sting's just like, look how excited they are. <laughs> God, they love you. They're here for you, Sting. <laughs> he starts hyping the crowd with some synchronized clapping. Whips and leapfrogs by both men uh, continue to go on until Bagwell finally back body drops Sting. They lock up, and after an Irish whip, Bagwell goes for a scoop slam, but the Stinger reverses it and hits two of his own. Bagwell claps for his mentor and decides to let Scotty Riggs have a turn. Sting starts working Riggs' arm and brings in Lex, who gets some kicks and clubbing blows. Riggs gets a scoop slam on Lex and brings in Bagwell, who hits some clothesline and a splash for two. Bagwell is whipped into the corner and tries to stop himself and twists backwards for a crossbody, but Luger deftly dodges. Luger smells blood and comes in with kicks and punches. Sting doesn't care for this level of aggression from Luger on uh, his friend Bagwell. I don't know if they really... I think they allude to it on commentary, but Sting and Bagwell they, are kind of known as buddies. They actually mention it like a few times. Okay, yeah. okay. Bagwell recovers and hits a flying forearm, and both men are down. They both hit tags and in comes Sting and Riggs. Sting hits a hip toss that sends Riggs down, but he manages to kick out Stinger's legs and hit a scoop slam. Sting is on his back and kicks Riggs in the face. Riggs folds him into an inside cradle, which brings in Lex and Riggs, but Stinger kicks out anyway. Oh, it must be Bagwell. Riggs folds him into an inside cradle, which brings in Lex and Bagwell, but Stinger kicks out anyway. Sting comes off the ropes with a flying crossbody for three, right in front of Bagwell, who sees the pin, but fails to do anything to break it up. He, <laughs> he must have been out of his spot or something. He was right. not supposed to be there watching it the way that he was. Right. Mongo covers by saying that Bagwell is just being a good sport. <laughs> Thanks, Mongo. Sting wants uh, to raise the male's arms and just be like, hey, these guys are good, but Luger is just not interested and walks off with his belt. What, what did you think of this uh, of the tag match here? Uh, I thought it was all right. I, I think it was more for like the, the Lex Luger character. Yeah. It was interesting for that. Because I, I mean, I don't know. What did the American males do to get this title match besides, like, Bagwell and Sting are friends? Um, nothing that I can think of. Yeah, because don't they – weren't they just talking about how they owe Harlem Heat a title match? Right. Why not have it – well, I guess maybe you're allowing Booker T to recover fully. Yeah. I You know. Um, But, you know, I, uh, thought, I thought the match was all right. Uh, I – like I was saying, I enjoyed more the the antics of yeah. Lex Luger than the actual match itself, um, and I don't know if they're because it's very weird. I I don't know what they're doing with American Males because there was a period of time when both guys were just wrestling singles matches, right? And and like not supporting each other when they're wrestling singles matches, right? So I I don't know if this is gonna help advance or elevate them or if they're just gonna ignore them again. So. I thought it was an okay match. The um, the best sequence came at the end there when Sting and Riggs were trading a bunch of moves. Mm-hmm. Um, it it went really really quickly, and the action you know it was very fast action and yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I thought they both looked good. Overall, was it was fine. It was just kind of there. Yeah. After a commercial, the giant comes out with Jimmy Hart. Flair comes out with uh, women. And Flair comes out with woman and Liz, and they're still working on this turning around thing. <laughs> this time, he asked him to turn around, and it seems like a compromise has been reached because this time <laughs> they turn in unison, like three quarters of the way around maybe mm-hmm. and then turn back the same direction so they don't do a full rotation right but it's in unison which leads me to believe like they all talked about it like this is what we're willing to do <laughs> as far as turning goes it's just i don't i don't know it's like does something happen to them if they do the full turn <laughs> they turn into pumpkins i, I don't <laughs> right. know Liz and woman then start taking that stack of money that Liz had uh, that I mentioned a long time ago, and they just start throwing it in the crowd. Just It's Macho Man's money, and they're just throwing it away. Macho Man runs out, but uh, security, along with a few random baby faces, try to stop him. Woman goes over and slaps him. Yeah. Uh, so he is apoplectic, but they just get rid of him. When they finally get to the ring, a fucking rube with a dumb mustache in a Hulkster tank top and a cowboy hat screams that Liz is a slut. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> flair and the giant stand toe-to-toe and bobby claims that flair has the edge in intimidation uh it's the giant is <laughs> like seven no, no. <laughs> I, I i can't even come up with the words to accurately say how fucking dumb that and i love bobby yeah. i mean don't get me wrong but he's probably like i want to see if they call me on this bullshit <laughs> <laughs> you know Maybe it's not even, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be purposely dumb, because he's always been a big flair, yeah. you know, backer. Maybe maybe that's the idea. Yeah, he, he faces, like, the biggest wrestler he could po- possibly face. He's like, well, you know Ric Flair has intimidation <laughs> Yeah, factor. maybe I just read it all wrong. <laughs> Giant shoves Flair to the ground and roars. The crowd is very much excited to be on the side of cheering the Giant. Yeah. Uh, they are ready for him to be a face, at least in this match. Flair powders out to confer with Liz and Woman. Bischoff gets word that Macho Man is in handcuffs and being forced from the building. Flair runs into a giant shoulder block and then another. A chop is no-sold, and Flair begs for mercy. Giant hits a big press slam, and Woman flips out. (laughs) Giant then hits another, and Flair rolls to the outside, where he crawls around on the floor before wandering down the entrance aisle (laughs) like he's just had enough. Giant goes down and scoops Flair over his shoulder and carries him back to the ring. Another ineffective series of chops sends Flair to the mat to beg for mercy. <laughs> Giant picks him up and hits a huge vertical suplex. Uh, Bischoff starts plugging the August pay-per-view live from Sturgis. Uh, mm-hmm. Hog wild. Yep. Flair comes off the top for a crossbody, but the Giant easily catches him and hits a very gentle backbreaker. <laughs> Just a nice, soft backbreaker. <laughs> Just rest here. Giant heads to the top for one of his terrifying top rope splashes <laughs> that Ric Flair luckily avoids for the sake of all involved. <laughs> I just liked it because Flair moved out of the way, but the Giant like left as far out as possible. Yeah. He was going to go way over him yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, Flair does roll out of the way, but it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> giant goes for a splash in the corner, but Flair moves, and the Giant flies over the top rope to the floor. A very impressive spot. Uh, which he had actually done for the first time last night and uncensored. Uh, so it's a cool spot seeing him just fly over the top rope to the outside, given how huge he is. Yeah. But maybe he should not do it so frequently, like literally two nights in a row now. Yeah. No, and that it was really impressive. I mean, he like clears <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
Woman tosses Flair some kind of, like, garrote wire, like he's a CIA assassin now, and he uses it to choke the giant while Liz distracts Randy Anderson. Uh, one of the very few examples I can think of, at least to anything we've seen at this point, where Liz provides any kind of service to the person she's managing. What? <laughs> I know, I know. More choking by Flair, who hides the wire when Randy Anderson approaches. Giant is still on his feet until Flair thumbs him in the eye. Giant lands on his knees and Flair hits some punches. Giant gets one of his own that levels Flair. Flair is back up for more punches, but the Giant shoves him down. While Randy Anderson's back is turned, Flair kicks Giant in the dick, and the Giant finally goes down in pain. <laughs> Nothing stops a kick in the dick. <laughs> Flair distracts the ref while Woman chokes the Giant. Flair goes to the top rope, but the Giant tosses him to the mat. And it's actually funny, because anytime Flair goes to the top rope, the opponent knows that they're supposed to throw him off. Mm -hmm. But the Giant's so green, he doesn't quite realize that. So as Flair is going to the top, you see him bark at the Giant, just like, <laughs> throw me down, dumb nuts. <laughs> giant signals for the choke slam. Woman screams in ways that I'm not comfortable with, and Flair begs for his life. Giant hits the choke slam, but the women get in the ring. Arn now hits the ring with a chair and hits the Giant, who completely no-sells it. Sullivan is right behind Arn, and he wrenches the chair away. The Giant turns and sees that it's Sullivan holding the chair. Arn hilariously points at Sullivan. Yes. <laughs> He did it. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. The giant hits a massive choke slam on Sullivan, and Arn doubles over laughing until the giant hits him with a choke slam. It's the antics of Arn Anderson are like so <laughs> over the top. Yeah. I mean, he's doing he's doing like the hand on the belly, like <laughs> double over yeah. laughing. Yeah. Just, it's amazing. Randy Anderson waves off this one as it is declared a no contest. And you can actually hear the disappointment in the crowd when it's announced. Mm -hmm. Like, they they would have been happier with a DQ finish for somebody. Like, the yeah. fact that it's a no contest gets audible, like, aww. Yeah. <laughs> the announcers babble a bit to close the show, and uh, what did you think of the giant working face, Dave? I, I really like this match. Um, you could just, it's so amazing with the, with the early giant just to see what an athlete he was. Yeah. I mean, he, he's so like mobile, he's agile. Um, and he, I mean, besides what you're mentioning with Ric Flair, uh, barking out the, the throwing that, that spot, it seemed like he had a pretty good handle of his part of the match. You really see how a legend like Ric Flair makes somebody look good. Yeah. Cause this is easily the best the giant has looked. Yeah. Without a doubt. It's no. not even close. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, I mean, the only other match I, I could think of was when he had his match against, uh, Scott Norton. I thought that that one was pretty good. Yeah. And that was more impressive because of the physical feats that both he and Norton. Yeah. Put on. Like it wasn't like he looked like a competent wrestler as much as he did some really cool shit. You yeah. Know? No, but I thought this match was, uh, was really good. I, I like that. The aspects of uh, Flair doing so much cheating just so he can get an advantage. Right. And the Giant looking so powerful because he could overcome, like, every single shortcut taken. Um, I I totally agree I that this was the best match the Giants had so far. And you start, you start seeing, like, there's promise that he could be, like, a really big deal. Absolutely. Uh, with all that being said, Dave, what was your segment of the night? Um, well, I think my second of the night was this match. Um, I like, it was, it was great. It's uh Ric Flair making someone young look like a million bucks. Yep. 
and and it's also the like the giant looking like he has a much better understanding of what he's doing in the ring and and just showing off a lot of his agility for a big guy yeah uh who then was your mvp um and then i will give it to the giant because he i mean he went from heel to face which isn't always easy but it seemed like he pulled it off the fans were behind him and uh he looked just as strong and as powerful more so from this than like any of the goofy endings of the other nitros or right the the bs win over hogan like this was the best he's looked since he debuted i agree uh my match the night i am going to go with the same match and for my mvp i'm just flipping uh competitors and i'm going with flair i'm going with uh mm-hmm. flair for just making the giant look so good um you could really go either way yeah but uh, it sounds like you and I are of one mind. In our Raw recap this week, it is our go-home show for WrestleMania. Uh, Shawn Michaels defeated Leaf Cassidy, cool. a.k.a. Uh, Al Snow. Triple H defeated Aldo Montoya to make sure he looks strong for his upcoming match with the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson defeated Owen Hart by disqualification when the British Bulldog interfered. And uh, there's just a bunch of like promo and hype videos. You know, mm-hmm. Most of the show is kind of dedicated to that. In the ratings, Nitro won with a 3.1 to Raw's 2.9. Okay. Uh, so going into WrestleMania, Raw uh, is still getting dominated. Uh, maybe not dominated. I mean, that's a lot closer. But certainly mm-hmm. Nitro is winning, and, and that's you know supposedly the hottest part of the season for WWF. So Yeah, I, I mean, true. I, I think that next week is going to be the, like, the big test because, right. I mean, Raw after WrestleMania is as big as it gets, and it's a – that main event's a really big main event, and a lot of people are getting the at this time. A lot of people are getting the results from watching Raw. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like with this momentum that WWE seems to be maintaining, if they're able to overcome like the big challenge of beating that Raw after WrestleMania. All right. Well, I don't really have any wrestling news. Things are kind of quiet right now. WWF is too focused on uh, you know pushing forward to WrestleMania to stir any shit up uh things are going fine with wcw right now you know Mm -hmm. backstage there's still the stuff with pillman but no real major developments right now uh so things are are quiet and we will see how that develops as we go into next week another week of nitro the fallout from wrestlemania 12 i'm sure we'll talk about a bit yep and we will talk about all of it right here where the big boys play 20 years of nitro